Super 3D. The all-new process that puts you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. It will scare you. Count on it. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Now playing in Sacramento. Check newspapers for theaters and showtime. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, your weekly horror movie podcast. It delivers a deep dive into every single horror movie franchise on the planet, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and we're joined once again by our co-host, Jerry Smith. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing today, Jerry? I'm doing wonderful. Really excited about this episode. What's that behind your head? Behind my head? On your head. Oh fuck! <laughs> uh, my goddamn video. Uh, no, I, my headphones. Great. My headphones broke, and I borrowed my wife's. They're cats. They're beautiful. I'm wearing <laughs> headphones right now, so Just fucking I embarrassed me, man. No, <laughs> I thought you had like an arrow through the head in celebration yeah. of Friday the Thirteenth. Ooh. Yeah. So good. I am wearing. I'm, I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with that one. You and I are both comfortable in our masculinity to wear pink, right. pink cat headphones. There is no judgment here. Um, so before we get going with our episode today, we actually have a few questions that I keep forgetting to cover in other episodes. Like We always seem to run out of time. So let's take a quick dive into some of the questions we got. Are you ready for that? All right. Um, so first, we had a question from username Safo Dravingo on Twitter. It's Jason Garcia. Uh, he had a question about the remake for Friday the 13th. Um, he was wondering if the reason the 2009 remake was so poorly received was due to audiences' familiarity with the principal cast, that it hewed so closely to the source material, or maybe that it failed to bring anything new to the table, or was it maybe a combination of all those things? Uh, see, I don't know how I feel about that, because, you know, there's definitely a good amount of naysayers when it comes to the, the remake, but it made a lot of money, and Derek Mears' as Jason's pretty well-received. I mean, it has its issues. Obviously, the kills aren't that memorable. Uh, you know, the characters aren't that likable, but I'm a huge fan of it, and I think a lot of people are. Like, I think kind of, I'm kind of shocked by that. Do you disagree with the hypothesis? I disagree 100%, but I mean, then again, I mean, other people might not. I mean, I don't... So... Is it that hated, really? It's not necessarily that it was hated. It made pretty much all its money up front. It made it about all in the first weekend, and then it dropped like a stone after that. Uh, And it's been a decade, and, you know, in part because of the lawsuit from 2013, but even after it came out in 2009, there didn't seem to be much of a rush to make a follow-up. Uh, and it kind of has lingered on a little bit. I well, would I say... Think, uh, I think a big reason for that is uh, it's Michael Bay. I mean, he didn't like the movie. Like, he had such... He had a lot of issues with it after it came out. Like, oh, it has too much nudity. It has too much that. It's like, has had he ever seen a fucking Friday the 13th movie before? Probably not. Like, I mean, it... it for me, it delivered. I mean, there are there's there's some issues here and there. Uh, like I said, I don't like if you watch Friday Thirteenth Part Four or Two and or Six or a lot of them, and then you watch the remake. You know, the characters really aren't that likable, and your main protagonist is kind of whatever. But at the same time, like man, I had fun with that movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had fun with it too. I think that it was more an issue with 
remake fatigue by that point is in part of it. Um, maybe there were some fans that wanted Kane Hunter back, although I think Derek Mears is one of the best Jasons overall. And I would say, for me, it's always comes down to the casting. Like, it was a really unlikable cast overall. Um, that is, uh, I mean, my couple nitpicks with it mostly have to do with Jason being turned into Rambo mm-hmm. and grow and like growing pot. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I never, I never thought Jason would, you know, smoke weed. I well, mean, I think... All power, all power to him. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to deal with a lot of trauma of seeing your mom. You know, why not, you know, light a joint? But yeah. still, <laughs> I think Marcus Nispel's direction was like suited for. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but not necessarily maybe a uh, Friday the 13th. Type you know what's film. funny? Like, really quickly, uh, I had a friend that worked for Crystal Lake Entertainment when they did that movie, and he has told me so many stories about Marcus Nispel on the set. Mm-hmm. Like, he would, he, he refused to shoot unless he had a, like, like, specific color of shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he clashed so much that a lot of, like, a lot of the uh, stuff was actually shot second unit because he was just hard to work with. So, I mean, so, that could be it. Well, that could be a big part of it. I think that might be a big part of it. Um, yep. Let's see. Ask Josh 32 aka Fat Freddy, asks, where did Ted go in part two? Um, I love these. I love these screen names. Yeah. So I think Ted's still at the bar, isn't he? Yeah, Ted's at the bar. We, we talked about that the last episode, right? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's still in the bar. He's about to come out now, like, mm-hmm. you know, decades later. Like This really was your old, idea really for the drunk. remake. Yeah, this yeah, is your idea yeah. for a follow-up. Yeah, Ted, um, Ted, Ted, Ted's been in the bar since part two, and he just comes out, like, now. Just comes if, out, you know, like, wh- where's everyone? If this was geared more towards the actor who played Ted, Stu Charneau, oh, um, he had a small career in the 80s. He appeared in Christine, just one of the guys. Um, he has some writing credits on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm going to link to an interview he did with Modern Horrors where he basically said he's a writer and musician first. And he just really never wanted to be an actor. He kind of got pulled into it by uh, an old girlfriend. So that's where he is at this point. His, girl, wait, his girlfriend talked him into? His girlfriend at the time was an agent and said you should, oh. you know, here in this movie all right um no question just a comment from jason slash uh jason um hashtag team mothra jr wells 82 mark's death is one that has always kind of bothered me i think it's because of him going down the stairs afterwards it just seems a bit cruel i think it's one of the best deaths in the series but yes it's a really cruel death Mark in part two and uh rob in part four i think are the just the most heartbreaking deaths in the whole series. I mean, like we said in the last episode, Mark was such a good character and they never used, like he was in a wheelchair, but they never used that as a, as a handicap in the film. You know what I mean? Like he was, I, I have, I've always appreciated part two for that fact that that Mark character, I mean, that guy was the biggest chick magnet in the whole movie. Yeah. You know? And like yeah. the fact that he, He's about to get laid, and then all of a sudden he gets like a machete to his face, and he falls down those stairs. I mean, mm. dude, that I don't think that death scene has been topped in the series. I mean, no, maybe it's... maybe Jason goes to hell when you know the people are getting into it, and the girl gets split in half. Mm-hmm. But, or yeah. the um, 
or the uh, now I can't even think of it. The death in Jason X where the girl's face gets smashed. Yeah, I like that one as well. All right, okay. so we're going to save that last question since it pertains to part three, and let's okay. bring on our guest, Jerry. Do you want to introduce our guest today? Thank you guys for waiting sure. patiently. By the way, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, today we have two guests, and uh, we're very excited about it. Uh, first off, we have Joe Langford from BeHeroes.net and the podcast Appropriate. How's it going, Joe? Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. Uh, we're also joined by Jacob Davison of iHorde.com and many other things. What's up, man? Uh, happy to be here. Really excited to be a part of this episode. All right. We're thrilled to have you guys join us. So, mm. guys, I always like to know before we dive into the movie itself, like when we're covering a series, what is it that has drawn you both to Friday the 13th? And in particular, when you saw part, you know, what made you want to jump in for part three? Um, well, uh, in terms of Friday the 13th as a whole, I feel like it's because uh, the franchise has become a part of American folklore. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jason is now basically the American boogeyman amongst others, of course. But, you know, it's uh, just something distinctly uh, national about about the series, you know. And as for part three, um uh, I think I think it's a pretty fun entry, as we'll get into. And uh, I actually had the fortune of seeing it in 3D last year in theaters, hmm. and it really made an impact on me. How did the three Im- the impact it? I mean, obviously, it's not the modern 3D that we have now, which is kind of like a lot more, you know, up to speed and hmm. looks very realistic. How was it seeing like a you know close to 40 year old movie in 3D, like a really campy film like this? Uh, well, it was, uh, it was a big crowd, so, you know, that, that was definitely a factor, you know, just all the oohs and ahs and mm-hmm. laughter, and, yeah, I mean, a bit, some of the bits are kind of hokey, you know, like the, uh, stick toward the screen type of stuff, but, uh, again, a lot of, it, a lot of the gore combined with the 3D adds, uh, a bit of fun to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Excellent. And how about yourself, Joe? Um, I've just been I've been a horror fan since I was a kid and and I think um, yeah like part two is my favorite in the series but part three was my favorite for a really long time and actually was the first like rated R movie that I saw personally in a theater mm-hmm. when okay. I was probably too young to see it I guess but mm-hmm. uh, but it was the first like rated R movie that I saw in a theater and it was in the 3D. Um, and at the time it was very cool. Like I think I I agree. It's a little little cheesy right now. Um, no. There's definitely a lot of cheese in that movie. I think, but some there's some scenes in there that are some of my favorite from the entire series. Okay. Now, did you sneak in to see it? If it was your first R-rated, or did you? Have no, like it a... was the '80s. I mean, it was the, they took your money. They didn't want it. They just didn't <laughs> I care. Didn't care about away from that's what I was. That's what I was saying. I think a couple episodes ago, uh, I had some people on Twitter kind of mention like, "Well, how did you see that movie at that age?" Like. Pre-Columbine, people mm-hmm. really didn't card you that much. Like, okay. when I was growing up, I saw, like, Halloween 5, Die Hard, Child's Play, uh, Predator. You know, like, mm-hmm. I would watch anything that would come out that Friday as a kid. I mean, I was, like, seven, eight, nine years old going to see all those movies. I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula after I got out, I think, of school in, like, fifth grade, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, like, as long as, like, my grandma dropped me off or picked me up, they didn't care. Right. I mean, yeah. prior oh. to getting... Um, assigned seating in movies you could even if they wouldn't sell you a ticket you're like great i'll buy a ticket for this pg movie and then you know walk into an r-rated one oh yeah yeah i i I, I, uh 
I used to work for AMC, and I feel like, uh, you know, kind of the big chain theaters, you know, uh, were a factor in enforcement of uh, ratings because, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a, a big policy we had to enforce. And, you know, I'm pretty sure the MPAA was pushing for uh, more enforcement to keep the kids out of the R-rated movies. Did you ever get to toss some, like, junior high kids out by the scruff of their neck for... Well, not in the 80s comedy sense, but we did have to ask uh, them to leave from time to time, yes. Yeah. All right. So well, what not, are we... Just, not, not to interrupt you, but not even just, like, the fact that a lot of us could get into movies like that. I feel like theaters in the 80s just didn't care in general. <laughs> like, like, my stepdad took me opening night to see The Accused, and I think I was, like, seven, and there's no, like... I don't care if I'd get in trouble. Like, I would not let a seven-year-old into a, a movie about Jodie Foster getting gang-raped. Like, I had no business seeing that movie. As a mental health counselor, I think that if that came up in session, I might... I My finger would be on the phone to, like with Child Protective Services at that point. Okay. Like, I would be tempted tempted no. to like start making that call to section. Yeah. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I had to uh, caution uh, parents bring their kids to R- like specific R-rated movies that you know this might not be the best mm-hmm. idea. You know, like um, I can't like when Watchmen came out, so many people brought their kids to see. I guess oh, it's just a superhero movie, and then they'd walk out a little while later because uh, there was a naked blue man in it. <laughs> They're like, Why did I see that blue penis? <laughs> the, the two movies that jump out to me, I remember my wife and I caught a matinee of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 the day it opened up, and there was a kid who looked way too young to be oh, there. No. Um, and then when I was traveling on the road for work, uh, I went to see another screening of Cabin in the Woods at like 10 o'clock at night on a school night. And there was like this five-year-old girl there just yelling, I don't want to be here before the movie even started. And we're like, well, nobody wants you here either, little girl. We're right there. there You don't understand the genius of Kevin the Woods, little kid. Get the hell out here. There's a huge difference between having like a kid who gravitates toward scary stuff like as a child and pouring it on their little brain like against their will. It's terrible. I have to dial it down with my kids. Like, yeah. I think my son asked me a couple months ago, like, Dad, what is this movie, Martyrs? Can I watch this? No. Oh, no. Cannot. oh boy. No. <laughs> We've done, you know, the uh, my daughter's eight, and she's done uh, a few of the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets. She snuck down one night when she was supposed to be in bed, and, like, right when I started the thing. And I'm like, I'm not getting up out of this beanbag kid. If this gives you nightmares, that's on you. And she yeah. loved every minute of it. Um, yeah. But, like, there's, yeah, Martyrs would be a no-go. Um, anything Rob no. Zombie would be a no-go right now. We're doing the Austin Power movies, and it's definitely made for some uncomfortable conversations yeah. uh, right now. But, you know, we're not shying away from them. Um, but there's definitely, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot this is a little bit racier than yeah. I remember from 20 years That's ago. Like, uh, speaking on Rob Zombie, like, my kids love, when, like, his music, which mm-hmm. even that I have to be like, you know, like my kid, like my daughter walked around like the house a couple months ago, like yelling, get high from one of his songs. <laughs> like, okay, we're not listening to that anymore. but like they, ever since they found out that like, you know, uh, my son's super into the Halloween series and he's mm-hmm. like, wait, Rob Zombie did two of those. Can I watch this? Hell no. no. Like, no I don't even want to watch those. But, um, 
So what are we here now that we <laughs> we have gone so far off the rails? It's great. So Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. What are we here to talk about tonight, gentlemen? Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in three okay. D. In three D, the terror is coming at you in all dimensions. The nineteen eighty two uh, slasher film, and to me, I think the most important thing about this movie and its biggest legacy. Um, is it's the movie where Jason actually becomes Jason. Mm -hmm, It's the one where he gets the hockey mask and he gets that outfit, which I really associate with him, which is like not just the hockey mask, but like the blue work shirt, um, I think is almost just as much of a part of the character overall. Um, Mm -hmm. It's where we first see that look uh, overall. And I kind of made a note here. I identified the energy that Richard Brooker, who played Jason in this movie, is the dad that's been told to take out the trash or mow the lawn. All he wants to do is like sit on the couch and drink beer and watch football. But he knows that like arguing is futile. Like it's not going to help. So he's not even mad about it. He's just like all of his actions. It's kind of, he kills somebody and then just like saunters kind of off the screen. Like, yep. Another thing to take off. Like like Homer Simpson in part three. Mm -hmm. Like, Whereas part two, Jason was like really angry and really mm-hmm. scared at times, you know, like there's that fear in him and he's falling off of chairs and mm-hmm. he's clumsy. In part three, he just looks like he's super annoyed in general. Yeah. Like He's gone he's, from defending the turf to being like these fucking kids on my like, fucking lawn again. Lawn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. like, but but part three, I think it's so important to the series. I mean, it's probably one of my least favorite of the first mm-hmm. few. But I, I definitely recognize how important it was because, I mean, he could have had any other mask and we would have, I mean, Jason wearing, you know, like a, a nun mask or something, <laughs> anything. And I mean, we got that hockey mask and it's so iconic that you just have to appreciate it. Yeah. And um, and it is interesting because it's uh, the middle movie of the, uh, well, I guess, in the timeline, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, three, and four take place within like a week or a weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is like the so this is the uh, second act of that little mini trilogy in the franchise. I love that about those those three movies too. Like that, those out of the series are are definitely connected. I mean, even not going too in detail into four because that's a different episode. But I loved how uh rob's character in four is the brother of sandra in two and he's looking for her mm. so it kind of has that continuity so you know marvel MC, suck yeah. it. right. it's because a weird thing's always bothered me in terms of just jason's look in general like you know it part two happened and then like the next day he's you know yeah. a head and a half taller and gained 80 pounds and lost mm-hmm. all his hair and <laughs> yeah because that's the thing in three like he's got real bulk to him you know like mm-hmm. he's just a uh you know like he, he's he's very ogre-ish you know yep. yeah, yeah and, and what's, lumbering, what's go ahead just lumbering he's kind of more sort of frankenstein-y where it's like yeah, yeah. he's a little more wily and jumping around and right um, I yeah, just I never understood why they made the, that choice in terms of well, what's interesting. What's interesting is I could understand, you know, different filmmakers kind of want their own stamp on it. But Steve Miner did two and three. So I've always wondered, like, why not just stick to like what you were comfortable with in the second one? You know, or if you're really itchy to make a change, just do another, you know, five years ago. This thing right. happened <laughs> down the road yeah. just, and do a time jump. Like if you're maybe gonna you just want to make it the next day. Too. And, 
And it's tough to make sense of the timeline as well in two, three, and four, um, because it does take place over such a short period of time. Like they all lead right into one another. And you have, like you mentioned the character, uh, Paul in part four, who's looking for his sister, but she would have only been gone like one day at that point. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. When Rob's looking for her, it's, it's not long at all. And Jason's been, he's look, he looks like he's been, hunting jason for like years. years i mean he has like newspaper clippings right. like who took those pictures of jason right. and lived if you he know? was like his brother or, or alice's brother from part one that would have made more sense yeah. but mm. the idea concept is cool yeah. yeah although i figure you know if you hear about jason going hog wild in crystal lake and you happen to have a family around there and you don't hear back from them soon you probably mm-hmm. are going to assume the worst mm-hmm. yeah I mean, Clay in the uh, the remake. I mean, he at least had his little, little motorcycle, so if things didn't work out, he could just you know go on like a road trip mm-hmm. if he doesn't find his sister. But right. I mean, Rob's like he has his backpack. He looks like he he went to Dick's Sporting Goods and just like <laughs> spent a lot of money preparing to go look for his sister who's been gone for maybe a day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. it's interesting, but I, I love the series for those little quirks. Yeah, yeah. I think it's part of why we love this series like no one's watching these for like the you know really tightly scripted story um you know it's not barry on hbo or, you know <laughs> well, you Breaking know it's funny uh, i don't know if you guys have heard it but there's a really good fan commentary on the dvd of friday 13th part four with uh adam green and joe lynch doing it yeah i've listened to that oh god it's one of my favorite commentaries in the world because mm-hmm. they know they know you know the mm-hmm. the little faults in the movies, but uh, they're such fans like we are that like, I mean they make jokes. You know that like P. T. Anderson was influenced by some of the shots in Friday Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, and that, actually something they pointed out that I kind of noticed in Part Three as well is that you know they talk about kind of the shots of the location. You know the shots on Crystal Lake and how mm-hmm. some of the some of those shots of you know just nature or the lake itself. It can be some of the most haunting in the entire series. Like, uh, you know, because, like, I just rewatched part three, and, like, those shots of the lake, you know, just fill you with a sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I, I agree 100%, especially having seen, like, two films prior, you know? And then then you see a lot of the cinematography in three. Like, it's, it's really, uh, it has a really good knack for getting under your skin. I've always liked the set pieces, too, like that, just that whole, like, little kind of the house and the barn, like, uh, it, I, you know, I just felt like I, I knew the layout and had, had a relationship with it, mm-hmm. and it just had a sort of isolated, kind of a creepy vibe to it yeah. that I enjoyed. That's barn- what I love about the series, is that anyone who has been to camp or anything like that, it instantly, like, triggers stuff for you. Like, I went to YMCA camp, and I remember it being, like, the most frightening thing in the world because I was already such a Friday 13th fan. And I, it was supposed to be like a week and a half. And I, I think that I called my mom crying like the same night I arrived. She came and picked me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like the, lo- the locations are great. Yeah, no, I'm, w- I'm with you. Like I did uh, summer camp in New Hampshire for several years. And it, there is something, you know, like you grow up in a town or the city and then you spend a big chunk of time in nature, especially as a kid, like it. Uh, it just feels so different and you know like and and that's the other thing too like every, i feel like every camp kind of has their own boogeyman or campfire story and so this is just kind of uh, friday the 13th was the logical conclusion you know after all these yeah. years like uh you know kind of uh you know like with the whole cropsy thing but 
you know, mm-hmm. just uh, building an entire uh, franchise story around uh, like, uh, you know, this this campfire story that's now like one of the biggest horror movies of all time. I think that's why I really appreciate both the Friday the 13th and Halloween uh, franchises uh, kind of equally. They're they're both two very important franchises to me. It's because all of us have, you know, had a babysitter or been a babysitter at some point. So the Halloween series, before it gets really weird and culty and <laughs> really bad, uh, I mean, there there is that kind of grounded in reality thing. Like, you know, babysitting kids, somebody stalking you. That's terrifying to me. Or, you know, who hasn't been to, like, a summer camp or something like that? And I feel like that's where both series really, they're both successful with horror fans because they kind of identify to all of us because we've all done that at some point of our life. Well, I like that as a kid, too. Like, even as a as a grown-up now, like, I'm a city boy, but, you know, when I am camping or when I am out in the woods, there's always sort of that isolated, kind of creepy uh, vibe that I, yeah. I I'm sure it came from the fight of the 13th movies, but then Halloween came and that felt like a kind of a game changer to me because like that could be happening right next door. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. still the, the time, you know, Halloween definitely feels creepier. Um, but th- that was just, I loved that as a kid, like Halloween could be happening right now next door. Um, Friday the 13th. It probably is. It probably is. You should Growing up, like we lived, like our house basically, like you would walk out of our front door, turn left, and walk straight into this massive forest um, with some trails, but a lot of off trails. And we spent, you know, when I say we, my friends and I would spend like our summers like building forts in the woods, like building tree houses, kind of like playing war games in the woods. And I can tell you that like it would get scary. Like you would hear a tree snap, you know, you would hear a tree branch break from far away or hear some animal sound you weren't familiar with. And, you know, as a little kid, your mind would go to so many different places of like horrible thing, horrible ways you're going to die in that moment, you know, in part because of movies like Friday the 13th, you're like, Oh man, there's like Jason or some sort of Jason, like creature that's out here. That's going to like stab me to death. And you could yeah. really freak uh, yourself. Oh, yeah. out. It's not your territory. That's someone else's territory. You're just in it. These movies become kind of our modern folklore, our modern kind of, in some ways, uh, you know, Grimm's fairy tales initially were very dark. They did not have happy endings. And your movies like Halloween, your Friday the 13th, your Nightmare on Elm Streets become uh, folklore for just a much different generation, kind of through a different storytelling medium at that point. You know what's interesting? A really quick story because it's—I think it's a good one. I had as a kid, I had to uh, step back from the Friday Thirteenth series for a while because my family did a, a family reunion out in the woods. I can't remember where it was, somewhere here in California, and uh, there were all these cabins, uh, and they were all named after different like Western characters, mm-hmm. like, like you know, like Gunsmoke and all this stuff. And so we we all met the entire Smith family met this kind of campground. We had all these cabins and at night all of us kids uh had a campfire and we were sitting around trying to scare each other and everyone was trying to come up with the scariest stories and me i just i basically i think i just pulled the plot of friday 13th movies passing them off like you know i came up with them mm-hmm. and everyone was scared and i thought like i was a badass mm-hmm. but then like I, I looked out into the woods past the heads of like my cousins looked out into the woods and there was a figure standing there wearing a black cloak Mm-hmm. Like, I shit you not and like maybe two three hundred feet away just staring and I didn't even like you know when you get so afraid that you can't even like talk 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I just stood up. I just stood up and walked back to the cabin and just ditched all my cousins. And I just stayed there in bed for like all night. Cause like, you know, like, and I still like, I'm 38 now. And I still at least once or twice a week, wonder what that person was, you know, or mm-hmm. wonder Damn. what come to find out. Like, I guess there was like a, a cult nearby there that was actually oh, documented, oh, oh. documented in, uh, I'll, I'll look it up. Maybe we could like link it. Uh, when Please do. That but yeah, there was a cult, and that person was just like staring at me. And so for yeah. a long, a long time, I had to just take a break from any camp-related stuff because it just scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Understandably. So, uh, funnily enough, uh, my sister just got married last year, and she decided to have it have the have the uh, wedding at a summer camp uh, that uh, my mom used to go to in uh, Connecticut, and. And I, of course, you know I couldn't resist. I I brought my uh, Friday the Thirteenth hoodie to the to the to the wedding, and like you know, because uh, we were there for the weekend, so like we'd be hanging out in between, like make campfire and stuff. And like I was wearing that, and like some of my sister's friends are like, "Oh, dude, you're gonna jinx it! Like Jason's gonna get us or something because you're wearing that." <laughs> yeah, so you know, just kind of tempting fate on that, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's when the horde. That's when the horde nerd and all of us, you know, like push up our glasses. And be like, well, Jason doesn't is not from here. Uh, you know, <laughs> talk about the geography of the series. He would never come here because he only takes taxis at the beginning of part two. Uh, <laughs> I always <laughs> pictured him on Greyhound, yeah. just riding the bus. Well, there was um, that incident. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to like poke fun at, at real true crime but there was that incident like a few years ago that greyhound where that dude just like went nuts and cut that dude's head off oh yeah, yeah. but i mean i guess, jason, yeah. I guess jason if they if they do another friday 13th movie soon maybe jason can lift around yeah uber <laughs> uber jason whoa <laughs> uber jason takes an uber yeah all oh. right so, so Friday the Part Three. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do we think of the feel of this movie overall, huh? Joe? You mentioned you really like some of the set pieces. I think the barn in particular, but there's always been something about this movie, like especially if I watch it back to back, say with Part Two, um, that always has felt a little bit off in terms of the look of the movie overall. And I think that is in part because of the change in location from like New Jersey to bring it to California so that uh, Frank, Frank Mancuso Jr. could have more kind of oversight of the movie, especially as they kind of moved into 3D. Well, you know, what's interesting is I think any franchise that makes those moves, it becomes kind of obvious. Like, mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw stopped filming like a Texas Chainsaw movie from part three on because they started filming it in California. Whereas the first two films in that series, you could feel the heat, especially the first one. Like it's Mm -hmm. miserable. I'm miserable watching the first movie. I love it, but well, I remember. Sorry, as a as a kid, um, that there there was a change in vibe that I think was subtle, but I think did make a difference. That uh, I remember noticing, like, oh, is the first fight of the thirteenth where it didn't rain. There was like mm-hmm. a kind of a windstorm, but it wasn't raining like it right. was in the first two, and that felt very different to me. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I th- for me, um, like it did seem like the uh, uh, environment was a bit more lush, you know, because mm-hmm. like uh, I feel I feel like uh, in part two, well, let's see, like part one and part two, like may have been a bit closer to winter or fall, so it was easier to tell, you know, like uh, the leaves were falling off, and like there was more you know just sticks and brush 
but in part three, you know, it's a pretty lush forest and the the lake looks beautiful and yeah, there there you know, it does look more vibrant, I guess. You know, we we talked in the the previous episode about how part two, as great as it is, was still the filmmakers trying to figure out what they wanted to do with Jason and so on. And I feel like from three on, they kind of knew what they were doing, but there's still a couple missteps. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, my biggest fundamental issue with three is the insinuation that Jason maybe tried to rape the main mm. protagonist at some point. Oh, yeah. It had been raining and the woods were cold and wet, but I found a dry spot under an old oak tree. I guess I fell asleep. All I can remember next is being startled out of sleep by the sound of footsteps. I was sure it was Dad, so I just sat up and I listened for him. But the footsteps stopped. Then there was this cracking noise behind me. I turned around. And standing there was this hideous looking man. He was so grotesque, he was almost inhuman. He had a knife. And he attacked me with it. I was so hysterical, I don't know how I was even able to think, but I kicked the knife out of his hands and I ran. He ran after me and he caught me and he pulled me down to the ground. I was kicking and screaming and yelling, but it didn't do any good. He dragged me along the ground. I blacked out. I don't know what happened after that. I just don't know. Yeah, like, that, that all seems weird. It never felt right to me. I mean, obviously, rape never feels right to me. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's off. Like, I, I don't get it. It doesn't line up with the character whatsoever. I mean, if anything, Jason's kind of motivated by hate right. for, like, sex. You know? Like, yeah. Most of the most of the deaths, when it comes to like sexual stuff, he he kind of gets this enjoyment of like, oh, you guys are screwing. Check this out, you're dead. Like right. he doesn't come off doesn't come off like Freddy. I wouldn't put it past Freddy because obviously he was you know a sexual baked into the character. Exactly, Jason. It's just I don't know that that whole monologue just really takes takes me out of the movie. That whole thing could have been taken yeah. out. I think, especially because it's a flashback. And so, what, two years ago, he looked like Jason in part three, and then he lost a bunch of weight and grew his hair out and back on his head and then went back? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's weird, like, you compare that, say, with the scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two when um, Leatherface confronts Stretch at the radio station and that chainsaw is, you know, obviously a metaphor for his penis and he's having his first kind of sexual experience at that point and it fits that character and it kind of fits the mindset of Leatherface where he had all these kind of like different weird and tweaked personas and you could just see that because he just has this... I always felt Leatherface had a fundamentally... 
odd and misunderstanding of the world around him where yeah. I never felt like that with Jason. Like Jason kind of had like this set purpose. Like I'm out to avenge my mother from these fucking kids that have killed her. And, you know, basically my purpose is going to be for now and forever to avenge my mother's death. And she taught me from an early age that, you know, these kids are engaging in things they shouldn't be doing and it's bad and it's wrong and for him to kind of have like these that sexual urge even in that just one moment it just feels like really out of character for it and it just also doesn't make sense that he would leave someone alive like the scene just kind of ends she's just like i passed out and then i woke up in my room and it's been two years and it's like that's just it's bad storytelling yeah Yeah. no other incident where he did that left somebody alive like why would he do that then yeah, that that whole thing was kind of confusing too. I mean, like, how did she end up back in her room? And also, like, you know, like it, it seemed like, you know, with the whole Jason stuff, like they should have they should have checked into that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, no, I definitely get what you're saying. Like Jason's whole uh, thing is repression. Like his mother was very overbearing and restrictive. So you know, he's uh, so like he sees the kids doing something naughty. He responds by killing them mm-hmm. which is the other thing too that i feel like this is when that that kind of thing uh, was really hitting its stride uh, in terms of uh, jason's traits in the franchise like if yeah. J- if the kids are misbehaving jason's gonna get him with the machete like mm-hmm. he uh kill, you know, like he kills the couples while having sex and he kills the stoners and he kills the bikers who were delinquent so yeah you know just like uh jason's kind of a uh, uh to uh you know just not just uh repression himself but he you know he's uh it, like his uh, solution to repressing others is killing them right well, do you guys do you guys think at all that maybe that when the series started kind of adhering to those kind of rules that maybe it suffered and lost some of its actual like terrifying traits i mean the second one to me uh, the second film i think is the scariest as far as just my personal preference because you don't really know what you're getting, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you have this person killing someone for really no reason other than I mean, we, we end up finding out, you know, it's Jason and so on. So we know why he's doing it. But for the most part, you know, he's trying to kill everyone. Whereas in, in the other films, like you said, you know, these people are having sex. You, know, you got to go. You're smoking weed. You got to go. That kind of thing. Like, I feel like that takes some of the mystery out, kind of like in the Halloween series. Once they do the stupid sister twist, it's like whatever then they do a, a senior citizen cult is leading michael myers mm-hmm. like it, it takes all the fear and the mystery out of a character mm-hmm. that should have no explanation whatsoever mm-hmm. i don't want to know that michael myers is a long-haired kiss fan who's killing his family because he didn't go trick-or-treating right you know yeah. or, or that his mom's a stripper i just want him to be this faceless nothing and kind of like jason the thing about his mom, I think that's good motivation. But when you get into a set form of rules, and I think that's kind of why I, I'm not super big into the Scream series. Mm-hmm. I, I just – I don't want rules. You know, I want kind of this anarchy of a character of, like, you don't know what you're getting. And I think that's more terrifying. Do you guys feel like maybe that kind of took away the the fright of it? Well, I think the issue is that they leaned a bit too heavily into it, mm-hmm. which also hurt, you know, just kind of the characters in the franchise because – you know, it came to a point later in the series that, you know, the characters were just caricatures and not mm-hmm. actual, actually felt like people, as opposed to, you know, the earlier movies where, you know, they uh, not necessarily had depth, but, you know, they weren't, you know, just one dimensional. 
Mm-hmm. Well, even the character of Jenny in the in the second one, I mean, you know that she's having sex. Like right. she's she's yeah. pretty confident in in who she is. So, so is I, I kinda, oh yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like the fact that it didn't rely on those like oh it's the survivor girl who's mm-hmm. never been laid. Like you know what? Like girls like to have sex just as much as guys. Mm-hmm. Like like I I that's one thing about like kind of horror tropes that drive me nuts sometimes like i want my characters realistic and i think that's why uh the final chapter is my favorite friday the 13th movie and I, i've said that for years just because i mean I, i'll probably end up saying this once every episode so i'm sorry mike that's but all right if you take jason out of the final chapter you have a badass coming of age movie i mean mm-hmm. it's like last american virgin up in there right like literally you know lawrence monison but uh i mean those characters are so likable because they're so mm-hmm. unique and they're so relatable. Same with uh, part two. Like, you know, I, I was all these characters growing up, you know, like, and when it gets later into the series of Friday the 13th and all the other series of franchises, like, I feel like it kind of loses that, uh, that genius of identifying with these characters you know like it becomes more about oh here's jason i'm excited to see who he's going to kill and how he's going to kill them and less about the story right oh for sure i yeah. think that's really happened it like it it's all just what is jason going to do and and how is he going to do it rather than who he's doing it to and that's i think it kind of went when it started to go off rails after the final chapter for me. What it what yeah. it does too is when it starts becoming mm-hmm. that formula that you engage in this act that you're not supposed to and now you're killed is you now you they also shot it differently where you remove yourself from the killer's point of view. Up to this point it had really been a lot of stalking, a lot of yeah. tension, a lot of build up. Um there's like the scene in part two where a character goes to you know out to the um to change her panties and then like the camera like loses track of her for a minute stays in that area and then finds her again um and it just it disorients the audience it makes for a lot more tension now you get into much more of a formula where okay couple has sex jason appears for like five seconds on screen couple is killed the kill is like hacked to pieces by the MPAA so you barely know what happened and you move on to your next set piece. Well, so what's it, interesting, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Nope, that's good. Uh, what's interesting to me, again, to make the same point, is Steve Miner did two and three, mm-hmm. and it's such a different style in three that I feel like 100%, maybe 100, but maybe 95% of the focus was just on getting the 3D shots right. Yeah. To where like they were more focused with like oh let's put the stick in your eye mm-hmm. you know oh, let's yeah. hold this let's hold the snake or this eyeball you know and it's just like they even say that in Crystal Lake Memories that book that like all the actors basically said you know like well we didn't get motivation we didn't get anything he just told us to hit the mark right for the three D yeah. right and I think it shows it's using and, the yo yo <laughs> yeah the apples yeah and and good oh uh, no you you keep going. No, I was just going to say that, I mean, it shows in that movie, and, and I'm not trying to just trash it, because I, I'm pretty fond of 3. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, the issues I have with it are just issues that I think could have been fixed very easily. Like, yeah, I understand 3D was huge around, and yeah, like Friday 13th Part 3, you know, you have Jaws 3D. Poltergeist 3D. Movies, Poltergeist 3D, you're right. Uh, I think Amityville. Right? Or Amityville, yeah. Amityville 3D, I meant. <laughs> My yeah, bad. Well, uh, yeah. Poltergeist 3D would be great, though. Oh, that would uh, be cool. 
right? Uh, but I feel like when the gimmick kind of surpasses the execution, I feel like that's when the films suffer. And right. I, and I feel like Friday Thirteenth has like moments of brilliance, but there I think it's kind of outweighed at times with like kind of like head scratching moments of like. You know, I get it. 3D's cool, but mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about that broom. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> this is the that... first movie where I don't think you get those. Aside from Shelly, I don't think you really get any characters that are that distinguishable from one another. I have a very hard time telling Vera and Chris apart from one another in this yeah. movie. Like, even on like a dozen three watch, I'm like, I still get them mixed up all the time. Well, I feel like Shelly is the only character that I, I actually actively remember. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen three so many times. I watched it last night, and I'm still trying to, like, think of, okay, well, there's Shelly, and there's Jason, uh, and, and there's the people that fill the whole almost 20 minutes of the beginning of the movie. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And there's, like, yeah. the the Big Lots or Walmart version of Cheech and Chong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird movie. Although I did like uh, the bikers, like I thought yeah. that that was an interesting conclusion er, inclusion, you know, because uh, it's also yeah, because like not too many other Friday Thirteen movies have kind of uh, human antagonists, I guess. I mean, I don't I don't think they kill Shelley. I think they just kind of wanted to beat him up again. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it is interesting because also they do uh, they do give well at least that one guy. I think it his name is Ali, like, he gives Jason a bit of a fight, and then he does that pop-up at uh, at the end again. So yeah. I, I thought that did kind of um, uh, stir things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Fox is the most memorable character for me. Like, she yeah. was badass. She was badass, yep. for sure. Uh, and she's just of... so happy on that swing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the joy yeah. she gets in that moment. Um, it's like that's like when you see like these hardcore like gangster dudes like show like their humanity for a second. Like mm-hmm. I was filming, I was filming a short film a few years ago and we were so stressed out. We were filming on a block, and then there was like this scary looking like uh, I hate to word, use the word cholo, but I mean mm-hmm. that's what I grew up you know saying. Mm-hmm. But I I mentioned that on Twitter uh, about a month ago and, and someone basically said I was the devil and I was mm-hmm. stereotyping people, but. Uh, there was this hardcore gangster dude that was just like out of nowhere cruised by us while we were filming and he was on like a little scooter. And like it, it was like seeing like someone really tough do something like really not tough, but they mm-hmm. were having fun. Like, he was so stoked to be on the scooter. And I feel like that's what Fox is doing in part three. Like mm-hmm. she's a badass, but she just wants to swing. But yeah. uh, the scene that makes me laugh every time is because it's just so mean spirited is the the little like gas station convenience store part mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah it's, yeah it's, the attendant is so mean like well we don't take food stamps here it's like fuck dude jesus <laughs> terrible and yeah and something funny i noticed about the movie uh seeing it in theaters is like there are two different instances of somebody using the bathroom and not wiping <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, like man, the, the dude, things like you notice. The, oh. Like the like the dude at the convenience store at the beginning and uh the stoner guy, uh I think his name is Chuck. Yeah. They, they both go they both go to the bathroom, but uh yeah, they don't wash their hands. Aren't most or, stoners in Chuck though? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, just it was just an odd detail that they're like 
in this one movie, there are two different instances yep. focus of a character using a bathroom not washing their hands. Or wiping. You uh, guys wiping. added in a little fart noise, too, at the beginning of the movie when... <laughs> um, I'm trying to think here. When uh, Harold gets off of the toilet um, and moves away from it, like they actually added a little. Because I remember reading in Crystal Lake Memories, the actor Steve Susskind was like, I did not know they were going to do that. That was a bullshit move right there. He was not happy about that. Harold is the worst. When they do those things in movies, like people don't wash their hands, does it drive you guys as crazy as it does for me? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when I, I watched Dead Snow for the first time, and that dude has sex while he's taking a dump in the outhouse. And, like, to this day, I have never felt more uncomfortable in a movie. <laughs> Just, like, I don't want to associate those two things. Yeah. Like, I, I know there's a particular fetish that, that people are into. Like, oh, not me. Keep those things separated. I mean, I'm not going to kink shame here, but... The scene with Harold just, like, makes me insane. I can hardly watch mm-hmm. it. It's fast forward I, Yeah, that's an odd... I actually made a quick note here. Like, the movie spends the first 17 minutes... Yeah, it's a long... Out of, out of a movie that's barely 90 minutes long on Harold and Edna, these two kind of middle-aged characters that can't stand one another um and it's like it's kind of a redo of the halloween 2 opening scene just not done as well but it's a long it's 17 minutes before you get to any of the teen characters in this movie and i don't quite know why that is now i do is it a rabbit that harold's holding in the little pet store they own yeah and he's got like a goldfish yeah I do like that, like, Harold loves his little pets, and he kind of adds a little quirk to it. Um, but, like, you know, why? Like, why do we spend so much time here with them? Like, why? I think you've taken those, that time and gotten to know the team characters a little bit better before you dispose of them. I think that taking your time to have such a long opening doesn't work for Friday 13th 3. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they did it so well in the remake. Like, mm-hmm. that opening is, mm-hmm. like, what, close to 20 minutes long yep. before they yeah. even, the credits roll? And it's, I think, I think if there's any issue with the remake, it's the, the fact that the rest of the film isn't as strong as that amazing opening. Like, yeah. fuck, man, that, that beginning is insane. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one is just, like, you're checking your watch. It's like, really? Has it been 17 minutes of watching this bickering couple? Like, this is like, <laughs> this is my first marriage. I don't want to relive that. Right. <laughs> we did get a question about Harold. Um, really? So now that we have everybody on, and it's about part yeah. three. Let's let's do it. So our friends over at the Kill by Kill pod, um, who they've did like basically 60 episodes on Friday the 13th, and now we're doing the Nightmare on Elm Street 60? series. They're all smaller chunks, and they're all like their deal is they just basically break down all the characters. It's a really fun um, podcast. I highly recommend it. Um, So they had a question. Why does Harold take a poop in his business's storage room, and why hasn't the Crystal Lake Health Department shut down that store yet? (laughs) Two very good questions. That is the worst and best questions I've ever heard. (laughs) I have only four only horror nerds like us would actually think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. god, that is and, great. And also, like, would having all those pets in that, like, uh, store, or the grocery, you know, be a violation, too? Because he's just kind of have them all around. Right. Yeah, yeah. Crawling around like, on the produce. 
I feel like Ocha and every other uh, uh, place would just have a filled day with, with this. But do you think that that's why maybe they're still open is because nobody fucks around with Crystal Lake? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, if I if I was, like, the inspector, I would, I would say, like, I would check it on my, like, little checkoff list. But, yeah, I checked it. It's I okay. checked it. It gets a pass. Yeah, I, I, I have like, an answer to the pooping question, though. It's, I always have an answer to poop. Um, <laughs> like, I, Jason goes to hell when uh, when she keeps poking the, the hockey masks into the burger with her finger. <laughs> like, I don't want to fucking eat your burger that no. you've had to think <laughs> Get out of here with that. Yeah, um, which also makes me think, like, what is the uh, layout or economy of Crystal Lake uh, like, you know, considering so many people have gotten murdered there over the years? Like what do they have? Do they have a Starbucks now? I feel like it would become like in Blair Witch Project, uh, Book of Shadows, where eventually it would just have its own kind of cottage tourism industry, where people would kind of go and tour the woods and then never come back from it, <laughs> and then you would just pick up the bodies and you know commit credit card fraud and start you know just like charging things on the dead people's cards because they're no longer around to dispute it. Okay. Just, like, that was be gently that was... bullied by roving yeah. bands of weirdly yeah. multicultural biker gangs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Fox and the other bikers kind of had that on lock just like mm-hmm. picking up the bodies for Jason and you know taking the credit cards and stuff. <laughs> Not the food stamps because they don't accept those. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So we're very clear on that. So yeah. I think Harold used the um, storage room to poop because he just wanted to get away from Edna. Like, that was a toxic relationship. Uh, I felt very bad for both of those characters. Yeah. They yeah. need to get out of that marriage. Yeah, that was just wasn't yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, she Maybe the, the actual bathroom was near where she was, and he just didn't want to deal with that, so he decided no. to just use the storeroom. He just wanted yeah, his alone time, that's all. He about the smell, and he doesn't spray enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I looking at Harold, he does look like the kind of guy that drops some pretty stinky craps. Yeah. So oh god. Added in. People yep. listening to this episode that produce. Produce. Like, what is wrong with these people? Yeah, we're 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 a silly bunch. That's <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on another subject, uh, I wanted to ask you guys uh, because you know it's such a central part of the movie. Like, what did you actually think of the 3D? If you've had the chance to see it in 3D. See, I haven't. I've only seen it it in 3D. I've only seen it with those really awful glasses that came with the DVD to where, like, it just looks like, you know, it it looks bad. I would love to see the movie in 3D because I feel like I would appreciate it more. Did it have? Um, I think that by by today's standards, the the 3D is pretty shoddy. Mm -hmm. But but I remember seeing it as a kid in 3D and thinking it was actually really cool. I mean, again, I was pretty young, but... Also, uh, it was it was new, you know what I mean, um, as a phenomenon then, and uh, and I, I just remember thinking like the eyeball scene, yeah, like, oh, yeah, really cool in three D, um, yeah, and there was a couple of the the uh, when he shoots the the spear at the uh, spear Vera's, gun, uh, yeah, the yeah. spear gun, like that was really cool in three D. Like there was just there was some really cool things to be able to see it sort of young and and new like that. Uh, but by today's standards, I think that the 3D, I haven't mm-hmm. seen it in 3D for a while, but mm-hmm. I think by today's standards, it would be um, pretty, pretty cheesy. So well, Jacob, yeah. when you yeah. saw this, what do you think the 3D added to the experience? Like, how did you feel it was a better experience seeing it in 3D over just like a standard screening of it on a Friday night? Well, uh, I think it's a couple factors. Uh, for one, uh, it was 
sold out crowd or you know a big crowd there so you know just seeing it with an audience and getting everybody's reactions definitely added Mm -hmm. to the experience and yeah i mean it's a gimmick but it is a fun gimmick Uh, like uh, you know like uh mike uh, like mike was saying you know just uh uh, it's uh you know like the the kills were more oh god i'm I'm gonna say it they were more eye popping (laughs) yeah come on i couldn't resist uh, yeah, no, it's it fun. You know, they, uh, add, you know, definitely added to the to the kill scenes, and uh, I mean, and in in its own kind of campy way, you know, the more uh, egregious additions of three D uh, scenes, you know, like uh, when they're juggling the apples, or mm-hmm. when Harold's uh, pointing the rake at the screen, you know, it's like it's got its charm. You know, it's like how in House of Wax they have that long scene of yeah. the playing with a paddle ball just to be like hey look it's 3d mm-hmm. so um you know what's what's funny is uh, uh i don't know if you guys know him but uh, rob galuzzo uh uh yeah rob g anytime mm-hmm. that you go to his his house the first thing he does is he does a 3d demonstration and it's one of the coolest things he'll take like five or six different movies and he has like the full 3d setup in his house yep. and it's amazing and like he'll play like that scene from House of Wax. He'll play, you know, the, <laughs> the T Rex escaping in Jurassic Park. All this stuff, nice. and it feels it. I've always respected him for that. He's such an like a lover of all things 3D that like it, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to come across someone with such yeah. a passion for that kind of stuff. I would. I almost went to that same uh, Friday Thirteenth three screening, but I can't remember why I couldn't make it. But man, it, I think it would be so cool to see that movie. Mm-hmm. How it was, me too. Yeah, uh, like I said, the crowd really added to the experience combined with the 3D because it, we got audible reactions, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. eyeball pops out or because like, oh, and um, yeah, you know, just uh, the, and there were some, uh, you know, some screams, like some people responded to the scares, uh, you know, like the uh, bisected body in the uh, alcove like that. Mm-hmm. That was actually a pretty good reveal. That's cool. Well, I think that's one of the things with Friday the 13th, with part three specifically, I think it's when it kind of hit its stride. It figured out really what it wanted to do. It had the hockey mask and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the series. And and I think it became less scary. Like, I don't remember after the first after after final chapter, probably being scared so much in Friday the 13th. It's just having fun. There was a, a couple of the Friday the 13th movies that were some of the most fun I had in a theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, part six you know with the yeah. thing like that was a blast there was like a people were throwing food in the theater it was like <laughs> like clapping and cheering it was really there was some fun uh experiences in the theater watching Friday well, the Three movies that's because, a thing uh, that's a thing with the with the friday the 13th series in particular like i've never been really frightened by them other than maybe like part two but they're so much fun and you know, I, I've been I've been poking fun at part three nonstop, but I, I I'm really fond of it. It's it's a lot of fun, you know. And everyone likes to hate on Shelly. I love that character. Yeah, like, I love that character. My wife, when we first when we met, when we started dating, uh, she was she was kind of embarrassed to tell me like, you know, uh, I know that you write about horror for a living, so I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to say I've only seen the first out of all of those series. Mm-hmm. What? So it's it was fun to like go through every series and have her watch the entire you know franchises, and three is her favorite out of the entire series. 
Like she is so into Friday Thirteenth Part Three, and it, like it's it's cool because it, it makes me kind of reevaluate things too, like kind of appreciate things differently. But uh, I I think Shelley always gets lumped in with Franklin from Texas Chainsaw, and I I'm it's not unfair. having that. No, it's very, yeah. Franklin is out and out one of the most annoying characters <laughs> in movie, not just horror movie, but movie history. I can't wait till we eventually get. Well, I can wait till we eventually get to Texas Chainsaw because everything after part three is such a clusterfuck. Um, but like, I can't wait to tell my Franklin stories about just like watching yeah. that movie with friends and cheering him getting killed. Um, well, that's the unfortunate thing, because Shelly, they're always lumped together, but Shelly is a good character. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he's, trying, he's trying to make friends. He's trying his hardest to, you know, impress them, make them laugh. It just, like my humor, it just bombs 90% right. of the time. Yeah, no, uh, like I was re-watching uh, last night, and I feel like, the, yeah, there's a lot to sympathize with Shelly. Like, mm-hmm. Just uh, that one scene after the fake scare where, you know, he scares, uh, I think it was Vera, mm-hmm. with, you know, when he's in the he's in the lake. Uh, and then he's like and she rails at him about scaring her, her. And he's just like, this is this is just how I know to how to this is how I know to make friends or uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just because that's the thing. Yeah, he's very genuine. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he, there's uh, there's a lot of heart to him. And, well, when, that, and like when, when he, he first. When you first meet him, and like you know, they introduced his kind of like blind date to him. Like yeah. she's so blatantly rude to him that he apologizes like, to her. He apologizes. Yeah. He lifts up his mask and he's like, "Sorry," you know. And it's yeah, like, it's "Oh, like, your heart breaks." It's like that moment in The Simpsons when Lisa rejects Ralph and Bart's yeah. like, you can "Pause the screen. You can pause it and see right here is when his heart absolutely breaks into shreds." Uh, yeah. It's just so mm. sad uh, to see that. Cause that's part of the reason I love Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than just he's the character that Jason gets the mask from. It's like it's one of the few characters in this movie. Like other than that and like the three bikers, like I don't really remember. Like it's you know, I know Amy Steele was asked to come back for part three and she rejected the role. She said there wasn't really a script yet, but she wasn't feeling it either way. And she's like kind of reg- she said she regrets it now. She's like, I probably should have gone back and done the movie. Um but I don't think Chris, as a final girl, Chris Higgins holds a candle to either Alice or um, or Jenny. Like, tell me one memorable trait about her. I, yeah, there, I, is, I, there is none. Well, I, I thought she was actually pretty restored. Like, I liked, like, you know, when she went around and got the log and, like, hid by the door yeah. and, like, took him out. When she threw the books down on him. Like, she used her environment in a really mm-hmm. cool yep. way, I thought. Like, climbing up on the rafter in the barn, although mm-hmm. she fell off and of course she twists the damn ankle when she's running but you know i thought she was pretty resourceful in terms of final yeah. girl stuff mm-hmm. yeah i, I always like that about chris yeah though i do i do agree uh that i feel i feel like her actual actual character was a bit lacking because you know there was uh yeah her backstory and weird trauma with uh crystal lake and again that story doesn't really add up uh and yeah. also her relationship with rick which mm-hmm. Just uh, again, just didn't really feel quite right. Right. So yeah, but yeah, I did. Although she definitely came through in in the in the climax of the movie, but this mm-hmm. yeah, uh, wasn't as standout. Well, and I think I, I don't know about you guys, but like in my my sort of philosophy of it, like 
I think in terms of the storyline, like, like she actually killed Jason. I think she was the one that mm-hmm. killed him. And in four, he's, he's basically like in zombie mode, which mm-hmm. I think he is for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. like Chris is the one who actually killed Jason. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I do have to ask you guys. Uh, I mean, it's kind of not off topic because it's part three, but whose eyeball is that? I've always thought it was Paul's. Because you never uh, which, see Paul at the end. Which at, eyeball? When the, the guy that holds the eyeball up. Yeah. The oh, right. The uh, crazy, the crazy uh, Willie stand-in. Mm, crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the crazy Ralph stand-in. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I assumed it was either Harold or Edna's. Mm-hmm. You know, because, uh, you know, we, it was just after the prologue. But, yeah, I mean, it's... that's the thing. It could have been anyone from part two. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's the other thing, too. Like, I feel like there's always a cra- well, not always, but most of the time there's a crazy Ralph stand in after, you know, he got it in part two. And no one I can measure that. up to the original. Nah, no, not at all. But I, I think close second is the uh, the kind of groundskeeper in part six. <laughs> yeah. I love that dude. Yeah, no, he, he's pretty cool. And although killed by his own vices. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, despite the movie, I do have a soft spot for the crazy sailor from Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it kind of comes out of nowhere and it it kind of combines nautical tropes with like the uh, sailor uh, who foresees doom for the ship. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting, especially in the later films, they they go from uh, where I think part three is a really good film with like a few problems. The later films, I think, are like there's a lot of problems with a few good moments. Right. <laughs> Especially Jason Takes Manhattan. There's, there's oh, God, stuff I yeah. appreciate. There's stuff I appreciate about that movie, but at the same time, God damn! Like I, I, uh, Screen Magazine asked me to write a retrospective on Jason Takes Manhattan, and I was just like, shit. Like, <laughs> I really, like I don't, I don't know if people are gonna hate it just because I didn't really have much to say about it. Mm-hmm. It's like. Okay, I guess you could get to Manhattan from a lake. Like I don't know how that works, but you know, there's so little of that movie that yeah, that's that's gonna be a back on part three. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. have to uh, also uh, find uh, that the uh, unmasking in three is one of my yes. favorites in the Friday Thirteenth franchise. Yeah, yeah, like, it's great. Yeah, you know, because you got uh, Chris on the canoe in the lake. You know, it seems like everything's fine. The sun's up, and then. You know, she sees she sees Jason without the mask and his head all bloody, you know, kind of pursue uh, pursuing her. And like just and it's very brief, uh, you know, rewatching it. I realize, you know, it's you don't really see him too long. It doesn't focus on him too much. But mm-hmm. when you do, it's it is generally uh, uh, generally scary because, you know, he's uh, doesn't have the red hair anymore. But, you know, his mm-hmm. head's all kind of bulbous. He's got those big bulging eyes and he's just like snarling and then and clawing at the glass mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah i think that's the that's i think the scariest part of the movie for me and how he how he runs when he bursts through the door yep. that whole little sequence there's was really scary something yeah, very feral these, about it uh the yeah. look in in three uh there were like multiple people that worked on that one right stan winston oh. did some of the initial work on it um and then had to bow out. And I think it was Doug White uh, that ended up with the final kind of sculpting of the Jason head. Um, the 
word he got from above, like Frank from Frank Mancuso uh, and the producers was basically throw the look of part two out the window and do something more akin to what uh, Tom Savini had done just as an adult. So I think that if you see the look from one to three to four, it makes a lot more sense overall with two being the outlier. But uh, Doug White says basically the big thing was he's like, get rid of the hair. And I think that especially with the hockey mask, like it wouldn't, I think we see in um, Freddy versus Jason, there are those kind of wisps of hair and it just looks really odd with the hockey yeah. mask. It doesn't yeah. work. Um, I do like, you mentioned the reveal of the face in part three, Jacob. There's a moment before that, that I really love where when Jason is kind of, he's hung from the beam Chris is going to leave the barn and he lifts up his mask to show who uh, he is and she recognizes him. And I just think that's like one moment with Jason I really love where he's kind of like he's toying with her. He knows who she is and now he's going to fuck with her a little bit. And you can see Mm. how badly that unnerves her. I think that's a great little moment uh, in the movie. Yeah, no, I didn't really think about that, but. Yeah, that it it is one of those rare instances where Jason uh, was a bit more calculated and in, mm-hmm. in terror, terrorizing his victims. Um, and and uh, and uh, back what Joe was saying, like I do love the way he's taken out with you know that uh, the uh, axe to the head, mm. and then that that one final scare where he's like, eh, like with that with the hands mm-hmm. coming at the yeah. screen, which yeah. in three D was actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah, and, I that whole sequence in three where Jason is kind of uh, more calculative. I I feel like that's something that was a really good start for the character because that's the jumping point for the rest of the series where Jason actually gets enjoyment like fucking with his prey. You know, like like part four where you know Crispin Glover is like nailed to the door. Like this is this from here on. This is where Jason like actually likes to set up his victims in a way that previously it was more like Michael Myers liked to do. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like Michael Myers liked to prank the people before, mm. you know, and like Jason, yeah. I think from, from, I think the end of three on Jason kind of has that, that kind of trait too, as far as, you know, I'm going to stalk these people. I'm going to scare them. And then I'm going to use their bodies after I kill them. You know, I'm going to throw Rob through a fucking window. Right. <laughs> He's going to disorient his victims to get another, like a, almost like a psychological edge on them. Yeah. No, most definitely. And I, I for for the small little gripes I have with three, I, I feel like there are so many just really good moments like that. And uh, let me ask you, um, like, what did, what did you think of uh, back on the I guess it was kind of a dream sequence scare, but the whole bit with uh, zombie Pamela Voorhees jumping at Chris? See, I, I don't I think that the, the series relied so much on that kind of like, oh, everything's fine. And then it's not from the first and the right. second movie that I feel like it was just kind of put out there. And I, I don't feel like it delivers like the first two movies do. It I, I, am, uh-huh. I, I jumped in. You, you finished up. Your no, thought, man, I, I, I really wasn't going to say anything important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I really like the kind of uh, the shot that they didn't put in the movie where was it like? Chris got her head cut off, I believe. Whoa. Did you guys ever see that? Oh, no. I, I read about that where she wasn't going to survive. Yeah. 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 It's, I think they have stills from it in the crystal Lake memories book. Mm-hmm. Like oh. I'll have to check it out and see, but yeah, there's a shot of like, I think, I think Jason holding her head or something like that. 
Right. I think it works when combined with what Joe talked about that scene and Jacob talked about the scene in the window with Jason peering out and kind of like giddy at the prospect of letting her know that he's still out there. And then he comes bolting and barreling towards her. I think it works in that context because once she, he disappears and you think, okay, that was our scare. And then, then Miss Voorhees pops out. Like it ends up in as a scene as it's total, it works, but just like Pamela jumping out of the lake, it's kind of like you said, Jerry, it's been done already enough times. Yeah. Well, that and, I mean, the series liked to do that, uh, you know, like even after the third movie. I mean, there's a few mm-hmm. of them, a couple of them that they try to do that still. I mean, the mm-hmm. end of five, the end of five where it's kind of, or end of four and five where it's kind of set up that, you know, Tommy is going to be the mm-hmm. one. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think the whole like bait and switch or the kind of shock of the first two movies is so strong that they were mm-hmm. just never able to recapture that, yeah. that you know, lightning in a bottle. Right. Yeah. I do I do love the very end of the movie when you see Chris in the back of the police vehicle and she is basically uh, Marilyn Burns at the end of Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Mm. Like her mind is snapped. You realize there's no like she might have survived, but there's no coming back from this. I think it's a nice it has to be a nod to uh, Toby Hooper in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's done really well. And it's it's creepy. I mean, it's a really creepy. I feel like when when films, especially horror films, kind of address PTSD, it's yeah. either really well it's done really good or really bad like mm-hmm. I, that's one of the reasons i just adore the hell out of last year's halloween mm-hmm. because yeah. that, that that is the continuation of laurie strode that i wanted but didn't get with h2o mm-hmm. you know somebody who does isn't running away from the trauma but running towards it right. i love that whereas like uh rob zombie's halloween too like okay i get that surviving something like that will be traumatic but Growing dreadlocks, having a Charles Manson poster, and just like cussing every other word, like mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't feel sorry for that Lori right. in, in Rob Zombie's Halloween too. Like I was kind of annoyed by her, you know. Yeah, you wanted to follow Annie in that movie and not Lori. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. So, what else do we have to say, gentlemen? What, where do we stand on Friday the Thirteenth Part Three? Is there anything I'm missing here? Um. No, nah, I, I think I think it's a great movie. I, I think that, like I said at the beginning, uh, you know, it's not the best in the series, but mm-hmm. I also feel like it, I do feel like it's one of the most important films in the mm-hmm. series because, you know, like I said, we could have had any mask. They could have used anything, but somebody they all argue who it was. Somebody put the hockey mask in there, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Larry Zerner, whether it's Frank Mancuso, whether it's everyone, everyone and their mom came up with the idea i guess mm-hmm. but uh the fact that they did and it was such a throwaway decision you know what i mean like it was such a small decision like oh let's put a hockey mask in there it is so iconic like my kids know the hockey mask right. more than they know the idea of like jesus or these mm-hmm. other <laughs> no like i got serious like i'll ask like because we're not a religious family uh kind of the opposite but uh like my my kids, they came up to me once. They were like, "Dad, who's this Jesus guy?" Like, you know, <laughs> kids I'm like, "I don't know." And then they were like, "But my son Dexter can tell you every single 
every single look of mm-hmm. every single Friday Thirteenth mask or, or Halloween mask. Yeah. Like he has I gripes think. about. He has gripes about, well, you know, I think Michael Myers looks French in part five. That's weird. <laughs> or, uh, and he's like 10. Uh, you know, like but the hockey mask is so iconic. It is, it's an American staple at this point. I mean, it's used on Simpsons. It's used on In Living Color, an episode. I mean, you know what I mean? Like such a small decision in part three led right. to basically the visual aspect of one of the best characters of all time so i have nothing but props for friday 13th part three. i don't know if you'd have gotten to a part four five six seven eight nine ten without that it became such a part of the iconography it's one of my favorite horror shirts is the what would jason do shirt it's ww hockey mask d you know well, like that's how recognizable it is even from a design uh aspect the first three films were kind of these kind of art painting kind of artwork mm-hmm. things and from four on, it's front and center, the hockey mask, because right. that is what the series is after that. Mm-hmm. It's Jason. It's Jason on display. And I feel like, thanks to Shelly, God bless him, uh, <laughs> I, I will fight for that guy's honor till the, till the end. Yep. Uh, yep. Because of that. people that haven't seen Friday the 13th like get no, the hockey it, mask reference right like mm-hmm. uh, with jerry same you know my son is in middle school and and uh discovered scary movies and so we said all right you know knuckle snap like let's go through this and you know there's a there's a there's a way you do this and so i've been walking mm-hmm. him through stuff and and he loves him he can identify all the all the jasons but friday the 13th like part three is his favorite as well mm-hmm. it's been really fun watching it through his eyes and and kind of remembering that love, like I said, two is my favorite. I think of all of them, but um, but three was my favorite when I was yeah. younger for a really long time. And it's there's cheese in there, but there's some great scenes, and it's super fun. And it really, I do think it kind of set the tone for the series there. Mm-hmm. Well, that and uh, uh, I I don't feel like Richard Brooker gets enough credit. I mean, rest in peace. I I feel like his Jason it was so nuanced in a way that maybe part twos wasn't i love i love part two a lot but there was this kind of scrappy kind of finding you know finding your sea bearings kind of uh, approach to two mm-hmm. whereas three right. three i feel like brooker kind of had a clear idea of what he wanted to do i mean obviously minor was kind of a little too preoccupied with the 3d aspects to really talk to the actors much but i feel like richard brooker he, he, I feel like just clicked for him. And I feel like that is a jumping point for the whole series. You go from Br- Richard Brooker to Ted White, which is just, oh my God, that guy is great. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, after that, you get all these great takes on Jason. And I feel like Richard Brooker's take on Jason is what kind of started that. And, and let me ask you this. Uh, do you think the hockey mask is more associated with Jason or, or hockey nowadays? Jason. Jason, yeah, because that mask is no longer used. So absolutely, Uh, you see that style mask, and you're thinking Jason. That's true. If you actually saw a hockey player wearing that, like, why is he? If they rebooted, (laughs) if they rebooted Friday the Thirteenth now and did like a modern goalie mask, it probably wouldn't be quite Uh, as iconic. Yeah, it wouldn't quite be the same. I, you know, after this episode ends, I have a brief interview with Larry Zerner uh, on here. And I ask the question, like, what if you gave him something different than a hockey mask? What do you think? And the question was a little bit ridiculous. I won't spoil what I asked, what it was. Uh, But it was, um, he was like, well, we wouldn't have a part four. Like, basically, it would have been a three-movie series. And I I do think that without the mask, like, um, this would have been a fun 
slasher movie series that we remembered fondly, but it doesn't have that kind of like overly passionate fan base. And we're not really talking about it. And really like, there's, there's like two more fan films that are coming out later this year um, that are trying to keep the series going. The video game that has been like a really fun game to play, uh, although like playing as Jason is I'm terrible at it. Like <laughs> basically, if I'm ever Jason in that game, it's like everybody gets away alive. Um, um, but it's like we wouldn't have that without the hockey mask. I think that's what really, really pulled the character together. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. that's what people kind of latch onto. I mean, my son, he didn't care about his birthday or Christmas the year that the game came out. He just mm-hmm. wanted to see that new mask that Tom Savini made for the mm-hmm. game. Like mm-hmm. that was his that was his birthday present. Yeah. Just just to see what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Very like, cool. It's like it's it's wonderful. It's iconic, and and I yeah, like I said, I love it. So. Yeah. Jake, I think that pretty much wraps up our talk on Friday 3, unless I'm missing something. I'm good. I'm good. Um, Jacob, where can we find your writing and your work online? Uh, you can find my writing and stuff at ihorror.com. That is I with the letter I, horror.com. I also co-host a podcast for iHorror called I on Horror. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out. That's I as in E-Y-E on horror doc and uh that'll be on ihorror.com and do you guys is it a uh, news like when you do your podcast do you focus on like upcoming horror news do you break down newer or classic movies like what's the premise of the cast uh we basically uh talk uh, about what we've seen what's out lately mm-hmm. and uh i do a segment called subgenre of the week where i go- pick a uh, random horror subgenre because there are so many horror subgenres to discuss mm-hmm. and then we usually discuss a main topic either relating to something present or anniversary related or you know something newsworthy mm-hmm. and you know just kind of go from there and okay. uh, my co-host I don't mean to interrupt you. Just a quick question: Are you gonna uh, approach your the Godzilla marathon that you recently saw? Oh yes, no, I'll definitely be uh, talking about that on the next episode. Okay, so uh, what's which... the Godzilla marathon for? Our oh, uh, I well, the Egyptian theater. Speaking of that again, uh, had a six Godzilla movie marathon last mm-hmm. Saturday uh, with the new one coming up. And it was a blast. We watched the original one and a bunch from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. I was there there the whole time. It was a blast. When they did the original, did they do the American version or the Japanese? Uh, it was the Japanese version. It was mm-hmm. a uh, 4K DCP from Criterion. Oh. oh, God. Yeah, man, that the original is still so brutal and yeah. grim. Dark, yeah. So it dark. really is. Um, and Joe, tell us about your site. Tell us about... Is it Be a Hero or better? Uh, Beheroes.net. Beheroes.net. Tell yeah. us about that site because this was an interesting, I'm kind of pouring through it as a fellow therapist. I'm like, ooh, I need to bookmark this and look at it. Yeah, I'm the odd man out here. I'm not I'm not like in the horror film mm-hmm. community. I'm just like a huge fan, but I've always liked metaphor. Mm-hmm. You know, I still read comics and there's something about horror movies like the good versus evil thing that mm-hmm. uh, just as, especially in slasher movies, I think is really... Uh, been important to me, but I am a therapist by trade. And so I, I do mo- work mostly with uh, parents for adolescents around like sex education and tech mm-hmm. education. So all the ways that like sex and technology get mixed up together is kind of mm-hmm. my wheelhouse. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I 
mostly do travel around and give talks to parents about social mm-hmm. media and cyberbullying and sexting. That kind so of stuff. what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions or fears that parents have around like technology and sex education are overall? Like what do you kind of run into? Uh, mostly that things are so different now than they mm-hmm. were like when we were our kid's age and they're not like they have screens now, but they're mm-hmm. doing all the same stuff we did. They're thinking about all the same things we did, feeling mm-hmm. all the same things we did. They're just doing it all with their screens instead of face to face. And your podcast is called app appropriate. Is that yeah. the right way to say it? Yeah. So tell us about that. I know there's a couple new episodes up there and I take it that it's like a mix of like, parental advice around technology and sex and what's appropriate or inappropriate to look at with your kids or discuss with your kids? Like what is the basis of the cast? Uh, The basis of the cast is kind of breaking down like the good, the bad, and the ugly of specific social media sites or Mm -hmm. apps. Uh, So, you know, like this is what Twitter is. This is how Twitter works. This is good stuff, bad stuff. If you're if your kid's going to be on Twitter, these are things you should know Mm -hmm. um, how to handle it. So uh, each episode is they're short and sweet and just Mm kind of each episode covers a a different social media app um, to kind of give parents a some mm-hmm. you know topics to talk about things to think about and then a way to kind of wade into the, the pool if you're not a snapchat person right how do you deal with snapchat if you have a teenager at home yeah that kind of thing yeah interesting that's it's definitely like working in the school for the past year like as an intern like especially kids in social media they're so far ahead of my generation at this point that it's you know maybe it's hard to play catch up sometimes in terms of what <laughs> yeah, you know and what they're doing at this point so um nice. so we want to thank our listeners once again for tuning into us uh it's been a really fun discussion we'll be back next week with friday the 13th part four the quote-unquote final chapter <laughs> <laughs> nope right. no truth in advertising there um you can find us on twitter at pod and pendulum over in twitter.com drop us a line at gmail at um, pod and the pendulum at gmail.com with your questions and favorite friday the 13th moments um also you know thank you so much for listening we appreciate everyone that's like dropped us a line on twitter and online that has helped spread the word one thing you can do for us that is like easy and takes maybe a minute go over to itunes or stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a quick review especially a five-star review that helps new listeners find us um so if you can take a moment to do that that would be great uh jerry any final words before we go uh also i just want to stress the importance of supporting people of of all podcasts i mean both of these guys host really great podcasts if you like ours and you like what they had to say please by all means go rate download subscribe to theirs as well Mm -hmm. i i feel like i feel like sometimes and i've experienced this recently i feel like sometimes podcasts are kind of put against each other Mm -hmm. you know like like when we announced that we were gonna do the friday 13th one there was people being like well this is the best one no this is the best one it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be like that we could all coexist and i i feel like that i feel like especially in the horror community there's a lot of competition when there doesn't need to be right and I, you know like both of these guys like i said they both have great podcasts i've actually mm-hmm. listened to both of their podcasts thank cool. you if you like ours or even if you don't like ours go subscribe go yep. right there you know help everybody out 
I was fortunate this week. I put a question out there into Twitter, like, hey, I'm looking for more podcasts, uh, horror movie related and just movie related. And I was looking for ones with like a feminist slant with more persons of color that appear and with more uh, LGBT representation as well, because like right now I'm looking at our screen and we're four white men. And, you know, it's just kind of like. Yeah, like there's a lot of us out there and like our points of view um, get heard a lot. And I'm like, I just wanted to kind of broaden and broaden my listening a bit and was really fortunate to get like at least two dozen new podcasts to kind of add and check out. And a number of them uh, have been great. So one of the things we're trying to do each week on Twitter is just kind of like just spotlight like here's what we're listening to right now and like post links to it and give a shout out to so i think it's like the horror movie community is like the best community that's out there with so many good people so we kind of want to spread some love and share the wealth a little bit Um, so until next week um thanks very much guys have a fantastic week thanks for listening and try not to get murdered by a hockey mask wearing psychopath out there All right, that's an episode.